Turn in your Bible to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation chapter number two to start. You need to turn there in your Bible. I hope you have your Bible with you. If not, pull up your phone, pull your app up on your phone. Whatever you need to do, you need the Word of God this morning. Revelation chapter number two. And again, I think the book of Revelation, it's our second week in dealing with it. I think it's one of the most, it's the most compelling, one of the most controversial, uh, mysterious books out of all 66 books of the Bible. If you meet somebody that says they've got the book of Revelation down, period, pat, they've got it all figured out, you know you've met a liar. Amen? There's many things, there's mysterious things in the book of Revelation Right. And but in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, what we have is uh, we see Jesus and he's revealed himself to an extent. Many times he's preaching, he's teaching in parables. But the book of Revelation is the full unveiling of Jesus, of who Christ is is right as a matter of fact that's what the word means you imagine a statue a, a sculpture of some kind that gets unveiled the it gets unveiled and everybody's like whoa right that's what the book of revelation is matter of fact look at this next slide the book of revelation is the reveal it's the revealing by jesus is doing the revealing and it's jesus being revealed that's what the book of revelation is it's about the final things we get the word apocalypsis Apocalypsis, apocalypse. We get that from the book of Revelation, right? That word might scare you a little bit, the apocalypse. It shouldn't scare you. The book of Revelation, if you're a believer, should be an encouragement and a comfort to you uh, this morning. Uh, but what happens is with a book like Revelation, I don't know if y'all know that the NCAA basketball season ended Thursday. There's no more basketball games. Don't worry about it. Cut it off. And so, but what can happen sometimes, you notice all these close games that we're having? A lot of times what, a, what can happen is a player can almost get his eye on the game clock and it's counting down, right? Ten, nine, and they almost, I've seen this before, it's like they get hypnotized by the clock and they get so busy watching the clock they forget to play the game. Many believers, when we get in the book of Revelation, we get so into watching the clock that we forget to play the game. We get so worried about when's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? Who's this? Who's that? Who's the, who's the Antichrist? And all these kinds of symbols, right? I had this lady in a previous church. She was in the hospital all the time. She was very sick. And every time that I would go visit her, every time she would ask me, she, she'd end up talking about end times and she'd want to know if Obama was the Antichrist. And I would say, no, ma'am, Obama's not the Antichrist. And then come back the next time, and she, she, some of y'all don't look so sure. And I'd come back the next time, and she'd ask again. I said, no, the Obama's not the Antichrist. She would ask me every time I went to visit her. She was completely so fixated on the fact that this former president is the Antichrist, and the end times are upon us. She was forgetting to play the game, and we don't want to be like that, right? The theme of the book of Revelation, look at this next slide. We win. Jesus Christ wins the victory, and we get to uh, take part in it because he allows us to do it. We win. That's the theme. And, and what we're doing here in the book of Revelation, we're doing this panoramic view of the book of Revelation, and we want to see how it applies to our lives. The book of Revelation is not just given to you so that you can know about some interesting facts and things that are going to happen after you get raptured. It's given to you also so that you can live now. Then there's application for your life today, right here, right now. And that's the things that we want to look at uh, this morning. Now, next time, I am going to be talking about some, a general timeline for the end times because even though we don't want to get hypnotized by the game clock, the clock is ticking. 
All right. But today we're going to talk about the seven churches. The book of Revelation was written to these seven churches, these seven churches in, in Asia Minor. That's who the book was written to. And John sent it out and it was actually distributed. If you look in a clockwise manner there in Asia Minor, and then it went out to all the churches. But as we look at these seven churches, what you discover is what it means for you to be a believer to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a, a member of a church. See, when you get saved, when you're born again, you're part of the church universal, right? The body of Christ, right? All Christians all over the place, all around the planet, true believers are part of what I'm calling the church universal. But also when we become believers, the word of God encourages us and calls us to be a part of a local body of believers. That's what we're doing this morning, to be a part of a local church. And so Jesus here in these chapters, he's calling out these churches by name, by name, right? He's even calling out individual church members by name. So as we talk about this, I, for those of you that are part of the Grace Baptist family, I kind of want you to think, what kind of member of the body of Christ am I? The church, again, is called the body of Christ. Look in those notes, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. It says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. In other words, we're like a body, like a body. And it's amazing how you take a part of the body for granted until it starts hurting, right? I've been doing physical therapy on my shoulder, and I tell you what, I haven't given one thought to my shoulder until it started hurting. And then I really thought about it a lot. Every part of the body matters. Every part of the body of Christ matters and is important. I think Grace Baptist Church is the best church in West Tennessee, and it's not even close. I think Grace Baptist Church is the church that everybody should be a part of, everybody should be a member of. But I'm kind of thinking I'm biased a little bit. But I believe that with all of my heart. But God has called you to be, I said Grace Baptist Church is the best church in West Tennessee, and not one church member in this place said amen. I ain't talking to y'all. <laughs> Listen to me. Listen, if Grace Baptist Church is not the place for you to put on the jersey, to be part of the team, to sink in deep roots and serve God here, somewhere needs to be, right? You need to be able to say that about yourself somewhere. It's important, and if not grace, be connected somewhere. Sometimes I talk to people, and they say things like this. Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe in church membership, right? You hear that often. I don't, I don't believe in church membership and things like that. That's kind of like saying, I'm in the NFL. I'm in the NFL. Well, which team do you play on? Well, none of them. I just kind of visit all of them. You're not really in the NFL if you're not on a team, right? And so God has called you to be a part of a team. So my best advice, let me get off my soapbox this morning. My best advice for you is be part of a local body of believers. Dig roots, go deep. Now let's look at the seven churches. Write this down. Number one, Ephesus. Ephesus. Return to your first love. Return to your first love. Ephesus is a unique church. Ephesus is a big church. Ephesus in its day would have been called a mega church. But it was a good church in a lot of ways. And Jesus said, guys, you've lost that loving feeling. Okay? And we're talking about, and also we're thinking about what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Also the key word for the message this morning is surrender. And God was calling these guys to surrender their heart, man. To go back to their first love. Right? And, and it's like marriage. It's kind of like the honeymoon. Matter of fact, look at it in verse 1. Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now, by the way, the angel, right? The angel, long story short, I can't get bogged down to this. The angel there is messenger. It's referring to the pastor of the church. 
right? So I'm an angel. <laughs> My wife doesn't think so. And you don't either. Amen. All right. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? I see your works. I know what you've done. You've persevered. You don't tolerate evil. It's wonderful. And then verse 4, he gets in their grill. Nevertheless, it's never good when you see nevertheless in the Bible. If you're the one that it's referring to. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. And again, isn't that easy as a believer, man? Many times when you first get saved, you first get right with God and you're on fire for God and you have that passion and you love Jesus, Jesus loves you and everything, and you're just going to conquer the world together and then something happens and that begins to die down and you're not as passionate as you were. You kinda, you've lost that loving feeling. right? Again, it's kind of like marriage. It's kind of like a honeymoon. I heard uh, one guy say that the honeymoon is the time between I do and you better, Right? And so if you want to continue to have romance in your marriage relationship, one of the things you're going to have to do as the years go by is go back to the things you did at first. Date night and loving on mama and communication, all those things, all the effort you put into it in the beginning, you may have to go back to later on to return to the basics. Now, what are the basics of the Christian life? Look at your notes. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus gives it to us. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Again, we've got seven churches to cover this morning, so I can't stay here very long. But I think at the very minimum, to love your neighbor as you love yourself is to share Jesus with them. Share Jesus with them. Right? Because if you've received Christ, you're a born-again child of God, and you know what God has saved you from, but you don't love your neighbor enough to warn them of the judgment that's to come, that ain't love. That's something else. But it's not loving your neighbor like yourself. Does that make sense? I love me enough that I receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but I don't love you enough to give you the opportunity. Does that make sense? Bare minimum, sharing Christ with others. So where's your heart? Do we have surrendered hearts? Number two, write this down. Smyrna, no fear, no fear. Now, listen, this church had some things to be worried about. They're dealing with fear, and they had some things to be afraid of, man. We need to surrender our feet. So keep our feet pointed towards Christ. Now, Jesus doesn't really uh, get onto this church. He kind of applauds them. Go down to verse number nine. He said, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. How would you like that to be the message this morning? I got up here and said, listen, God said... Some of you are going to be thrown into prison, but don't be scared. It's going to be all right. That's literally what these people were facing. In the Christian life, we're going to be persecuted. More Christians have died in the, uh, the last decade for the cause of Christ than any other decade ever since the beginning of the church. Since the 2000s, persecution hasn't gotten better. It's only got worse. Probably in China last night on Sunday, somewhere in China, a house church, a door was kicked in, and everybody was dragged out into the streets and into prison, never to be seen again. Persecution's real. 
Now, we don't face that kind of persecution here, but I want you to understand this. Look at this next slide. Persecution purifies. God will use persecution in your life. And part of the will of God is sometimes going through hard times, man. It's not God's will for your life that everything's perfect, everything's awesome. That's just, God doesn't necessarily cause those tough times, but he's going to use those to refine you, purify you, and make you more like Christ. Right? Maybe your, your measure of persecution is being overlooked for a promotion because of your stand for Christ. Maybe you're just not in the clique, you're not in the squad, you're not part of the crowd because of your stand for Christ. And that's okay. If it's true, God is purifying you, right? God's going to use those hard times, man. So which way are your feet pointed? Your feet should be pointed in the direction of Christ and where he's calling you, right? Even if it's hard times ahead, it's better to go that way. than the. I've noticed, I've been saved long enough that I've noticed that whenever Marcus starts doing his own thing and going in his own direction, it never ends good. But whenever I point my feet towards Christ and I'm doing what he's called me to and I'm moving in his direction, he is faithful. It always works out, right? Even though there may be difficult times, right? So we need to face our fears, point our feet towards Jesus, and he is always faithful. Number three, write this down. Pergamum, no compromise. Cancel your compromise. Now, Pergamum, they have some believers that were so strong in the faith. Matter of fact, Jesus says this. It's amazing. On one hand, you've got people that are dying for me, dying for the faith. And on the other hand, uh, you guys are holding to the teaching of Balaam. Look at verse number 13 in your Bible, Revelation 2, 13. Jesus is saying to him, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, right? Dying for Jesus, dying for the faith, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, right? Some people say that doctrine doesn't matter. They're just wrong. It does matter. It sounds like it does. And this Antipas guy was martyred for the faith, Right, but some was holding the doctrine. Now, again, for time's sake this morning, I don't have time to go into the whole Balaam thing, but Balaam was a false prophet from the Old Testament who tried to tempt and try the nation of Israel, and it didn't work. And so the idea here is just compromise, man. Just compromise. When we compromise morally, when we compromise our speech, when we compromise our stand, when we compromise on truth, when we compromise on the gospel. Look at this next slide. Jesus wants us to live pure lives. And again, it's not this legalistic stuff, but God knows what's best for us, and he can use us in the greatest way when we're surrendered to his will. Our obedience shows our love for him. I mean, that's what it, that's what it shows. Our obedience shows our love for Christ. Right? We don't, do so that, we don't do good things so that Jesus will love us, but because Jesus loved us first, we do good things. That's how it works. It's just it's a, an action of love, right? And again, here, Jesus is going to use this word. There's a lot of theologians and a lot of preachers that don't like this word. It's the R word, right? And, but it's all over your Bible. Look at this next slide. Repent. Repent. It's all over it. Why is repentance? It's an about face. It's going a different direction. Look at Revelation 2, verse 16. Jesus says, Repent. Or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And again, I don't have time to go into all that, but that don't sound good, does it? You don't want Jesus saying that about you. 
When Jesus came the first time, he came as a, 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 a born of a virgin in a manger. He came as a lamb. He came as the savior of the world. When he comes the, the, the next time, he's coming as the sovereign king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, it's not really popular either to talk about judgment all that much. And just the word, as soon as you start talking about judgment, you can just feel people just go, oh, right? What do, you, what do people say all the time? No, you can't judge. Don't judge me, bro. Don't judge me, man. Like I could, number one, that's just a miss you. Why is it that all hypocrites and unbelievers know one Bible verse and that's it? Right? The Bible says you're not supposed to judge. Right? But listen, and again, that's just a misuse, misapplication of that verse. I'm not going to go into that. Listen, no one can judge you and all that. So I get that. What people are saying when they say, don't judge me, man. Only, only God, what they're saying is don't ever point out anything wrong that I'm doing. And isn't it ironic that whenever somebody says to you, hey, man, don't judge me, they're judging you for judging them? Isn't that how that works? Right? Because you're passing judgment on me, calling me a judger with your judginess. Again, that's not what that verse means, but listen, the Word of God points out that there are things in our lives that are wrong, and these things will be judged. God's going to judge. You need to be way more concerned about uh, whether what God thinks than whether or not I think that something you're doing is right or wrong, because God is going to judge. One day, Jesus is going to judge you, and you should be concerned about that and stop thinking about other people judging you. The reality is true Christians will be judged as well. There's a judgment for us, not for salvation, but unto good works. What we did with what God gave us, the time, talent, and treasure that God has given us to make a difference in the body of Christ. My gifting is unique. Your gifting is unique to you. And someday God's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do for me? It's going to be a time of rewarding. It's going to be a time of celebration, man. But you don't want to show up and not have a prize to claim. Again, not out of legalism, because we're grateful, man, for what Jesus has done for us. And I'm not talking about punishment. Jesus took the punishment for our sins on the cross. But a time of rewarding, a time of accountability. However, there is a judgment for those who never, ever turn from their sins and receive Christ. That judgment, and you will be judged, bro, that judgment will involve punishment. And somebody says, you know, I just can't believe in a God that will send anybody to hell. You're sending yourself to hell. Hell wasn't even made for you. You know that, right? It was made for the devil and the demons. It's not even made for people. You're going there. And what's going to happen is this. You reject God here. You reject God now. You don't want anything to do with God, the people of God, the word of God, the son of God. You don't want anything to do with any of that now. You're separating yourself from that. And then on that day when you face him in judgment, he's going to give you more of what you wanted here. Right? Eternal separation from God in eternity in hell. Romans 14, 11 says this, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. The last thing that some people are going to see before they enter hell, well, one of the last things people are going to do before they enter into hell, they're going to bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the last thing they're going to do. And the bottom line is this, you either bow now or you bow later, but you will bow. Judgment. Number four, write this down. Thyatira, we need to reject immorality. Reject immorality. Again, this is surrender. Look at verse 18. It says, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? These things says the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. 
I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel. Say Jezebel. Jezebel. That just feels good to say, don't Jezebel. Who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality. And in case you don't know your Bible, let me ask you a question. Anybody here named their daughter Jezebel? You know why? Because it's the most wicked, evil woman that's ever even mentioned in Scripture. Of course you don't name your daughter Jezebel. You, she's the worst, right? I mean, if you think your mother-in-law ba- is bad, Jezebel's just a little bit worse than she is. Amen? And here this woman is, this, this harlot, this prophetess, and she's in church teaching people sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Let me be honest with you. Right now, all over America, right now, there are Jezebels in churches leading churches to compromise on the word of God and to fall into all kinds of immorality. And this verse is for them, for all the Jezebels that are leading the church astray that will not take a stand on the word of God. It's going on today. But back then, what it's really referring to with Jezebel is Baal worship. Baal. Have you heard of the, an Old Testament Baal? The God, and what, what this involves is um, this incredibly ungodly pagan religious, completely anti-God. But what happens is they have these Asherah poles. They have these Asherah poles. And at these Asherah poles, at some of these temples, what they would do is some women would come out and dance naked around the Asherah poles, and the men would throw their money down, right? And then other things would happen after that, right? These women coming out dancing, and they're throwing their money at them. Aren't you glad that doesn't exist today? So anyway, that's what Jezebel is leading this church into. All kinds of bad stuff. Look at verse 21. Look at how good God is. He says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. God is so good, man. He's like, repent, and he gave her time, and he says, she does not repent. And in Scripture, he's going to judge her severely, man, harshly. His judgment is sure, and it's coming. But he also promises a reward for those who are faithful. Go down to verse 26. It says, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Again, that's referring to the millennial reign of Christ there. So what is God's way? We're talking about this immorality, this sexual immorality. One man, one woman married together forever. That's the ideal. And and God means for one man and one woman to be together in marriage. You need to surrender your mind, surrender your opinion, and submit yourself to the word of God. Right, God, I want to think what you want me to think. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to feed on things that honor you. I want to honor you with my life. I want to reject you know, what the world is feeding me, and I only want to receive what you have for me. Reject what God rejects. Number five, write this down. Sardis, we need to wake up. Wake up. Let's take a poll, and let's see how honest you are. Have you ever fallen asleep in church? Okay. Uh, if you're asleep right now, raise your hand. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, listen, I remember this one gentleman, one of our previous churches, he's a great guy. His name was Dale. He was awesome, and he was like really old, total stud, though, still an athlete. And, but he was really old, and he could fall asleep as soon as he sat down. And I was preaching one time, and he was over here at the far right, literally completely folded up his hands this far from touching the floor, just out, right? You could go out to eat with Dale, and, and he could ask you a question riding in the truck. And he's like, hey, how's Alicia doing? Well, no, she's, doing, she's doing pretty good. Then you look at her, like, just out. The guy could not sit without sleeping, right? But there's many people that sleep in church, right? And I've, been, I've visited churches where it just seems like the whole church is dead. The whole church is asleep. And what we're talking about here is this idea of just sleepwalking through this life 
through this faith. There's victory in Christ Jesus, but so many Christians are like, you know, everything's okay, everything's all right, you know, there's no worship, no urgency, right, just sleep. The devil loves to put us to sleep. The devil will sing you a lullaby, rockabye Christian in the treetop, snoozing will cause your growth to stop. Ignore the alarm and stay in bed. You won't accomplish nothing, you sleepy head. <laughs> then you're dead. <laughs> that was good, right? My voice, that was good. Yeah. Listen, listen. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. He says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you are dead. Not good. God forbid that Grace Baptist Church would have a name for being alive, but the truth is be dead. God forbid it. Look at verse 3. It's not good. He says, remember, therefore, how you received and heard. Hold fast. And there's that R word again. Repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I'll come upon you. Again, there's so much here. i got to move on. But he's saying you've got a reputation, but you're dead, dead, dead. Do you have a reputation as a believer? Everybody, oh, he loves the Lord. She loves the Lord. What a great Christian, right? Just a prayer warrior, but you know that you're not. Dead, dead, dead. Number six, write this down, Philadelphia. We need to walk in obedience. Again, surrender. The secret to the Christian life is obedience. All right, okay, this church, look at verse 8. This church is awesome. It's faithful. He says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, but have kept my word and have not denied my name. I love that, an open door that no one can shut, right? That's how you become a Christian, right? If you're, we, there was an open door, and you stepped through it. And I love what it says here. The door is open, and nobody can shut it right? If you've never received Christ this morning, the door is open and nobody can shut it. You can step through that door, repent, turn from your sins and trust Jesus. But someday, I don't know when, and you don't know when either, that door is going to shut. Your time is up. The jig is up. And once that door is shut, nobody can open it. Today is the day of salvation. You don't need to walk through that door. You need to run through that door while it's still open because it is open this morning because you're here. Run through the door. How do you become a Christian? Being a good guy, doing nice things, paying your taxes. You know, no, none of those things will make you a believer. You need to understand that you just don't measure up. You're not good enough, man. Look at this next slide. Our good simply isn't good enough, but God is God enough. Your good will never measure up. You'll never make it. You can't do it on your own. You, listen, you break promises to yourself. You do it every January 1st. Right? We're just not good enough. God sent Jesus to live the perfect life we couldn't live, to die the death we couldn't die, and to be resurrected on the third day. We become a Christian by making a decision. Right? We choose Jesus. We choose to step through the door. If we never choose to step through the door, it's never going to happen. Nobody walks through the door on accident. You have to make up your mind. I want Jesus. I need Jesus and turn from your sin and trust him. The door's open. It's not always going to be open. Today is the day of salvation. You need Jesus. But someday, we're talking about the end times. Someday it's going to either be the end times or it's the end of your time. I'm not trying to scare you unless it works. Because you should be scared. Step through the door. Receive Christ. Be saved, man, forever. Number seven, Laodicea, turn up the heat. Not right now, I'm hot. 
Turn up the heat. Turn up the heat. Turn up the heat. This is actually kind of gross. You ever read anything in the Bible that's gross? If you haven't, you haven't read your Bible. Revelation 3, verse 15. Look at it. It says, I know your works that you're neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Right? Lukewarm coffee, lukewarm. Like, there's lots of stuff. We'd rather it be hot or we'd rather it be cold and not lukewarm. I mean, don't you know people that are just kind of there, lukewarm? You know, like, I'm a Christian, you know, but it's nothing to get worked up about. I mean, I'm slated. I believe in God and everything. We go down there, grace, once every couple months and, you know, check in there. But nothing to get worked up about. I mean, I believe in God and everything, man, but, you know. I can't read the Bible. It's got all those words and no pictures. <laughs> I'm filtering everything out. I know I shouldn't say right now. All right. But listen, we all know people like that. They're just kind of good. You know, it's no big deal, right? I would rather talk to somebody who hates God and has questions than somebody's like, well, I mean, you know, it's just no big deal, Jesus and whatnot. Right? I'd rather talk to somebody who doesn't know, that has questions, and be willing to have a conversation than some Christian who's like, yeah, whatever, you know, who cares? Jesus is saying we need to turn up the heat on our spiritual lives. That's where the surrender comes in, that we're not complacent, we're not satisfied with yesterday's victories, but wanting to see what God has in store for us today and tomorrow, and to walk and live in that victory, the victory that Jesus has given to us, and to pass that down to our children, and the children after them, and our neighbors, and our friends, and our family. That's why we do what we do. That's why we have stupid helicopters dropping stupid helicopter Easter eggs on a stupid football field. It has nothing to do with eggs, helicopters, or football. It's just so we can share the gospel with men, women, boys, and girls that need to run through that door before it shuts. That's why we do what we do. There's no other reason. Right? So that we can make much of the name of Jesus, the Savior of our souls, while the day is now, the day of salvation. Are we surrendered to Him? Or are you complacent? You know, it's okay. We'll church. You know. Are you satisfied? Are you living on victories from yesterday? Are you excited about what God is doing in your life? When you came to church this morning, was it out of a sense of obligation? Or was it because you're alive in Christ and you couldn't wait to go worship him? We need to turn up the heat, man, and surrender our lives and make much of the name of Jesus because his name is the only one that really deserves to be bragged on. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, uh, God, for these seven churches. Lord, they don't exist anymore. But Lord, we're here. And God, I just pray that you'll use us. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. No looking around. Respect your neighbors. Be respectful of those around you. This morning, there's, you know that you're saved. So this, all of you, you know that you've walked through that door. You know that you've been saved. You know that you've been redeemed, right? You've been forgiven of your sins. You know that. You feel like you've got that locked in. But let me ask you a question. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me ask you a question. Are you surrendered? Is there that desire in your heart and in your life that you would literally, as an individual, God, I want to be so surrendered to you and your will that my feet will always be pointed in the direction you want me to go? Is that your prayer for you? Is that your prayer for your family? God, I want my family to be so surrendered to you that we glorify your name. 
And as a result of that, is that your prayer for your church? God, me as a person and my family, but God, may my church be so surrendered to the name of Jesus that it'll never, if you wrote a letter to us, it would not say, nevertheless. Is that your prayer this morning? Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to pray with all of us. Will you slip your hand up if that's your prayer this morning? All over the sanctuary, all over, all over, all over. Father God, surrender. Lord, just anew, we surrender. God, that you would use us. God, that you would drive out complacency from our hearts. Some sense of arrival. God, that we're satisfied in you. We are satisfied. But God, we know that you've got more in store for us. So Lord, we surrender ourselves. Lord, we surrender our families. And God, we surrender this church that you would use it so we can make much of the name of Jesus and not ourselves. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a few more moments. Listen, you're here this morning and you weren't one of those that you know that you know, that you've run through the door, that you've received Christ, that you've been forgiven. You don't know for sure. What do you need to do this morning? Look up for just a second. Look at this Bible verse. It says, Revelation 3, 19, it says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Listen, Christian, are you going through a difficult time right now? There's good news. He says, those who I love, I rebuke and I discipline. It may be the loving hand of God getting your attention. Persecution purifies. But what if you don't, you're here and you don't know that you've gone through that door? What is the answer? It's be earnest. What does that mean? To be earnest, to be sincere. Right? To humble yourself before God and, and mean it. Be earnest and do business with God and repent of your sin. Confess your sin and turn to Jesus. If you're going to turn to Jesus, you're going to have to turn away from something. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is sincerely. Right? Not tipping your hat to Him or mentally going, oh, I believe in God. Earnestly surrendering yourself, your life, into the hands of Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Is that your prayer this morning? That's the only thing that'll do it. When we turn from ourselves, we turn to Jesus and put our faith in his death, burial, and resurrection for our salvation. Christ alone, not me, I can't do it. But Jesus, he died for you because he loves you. His perfect death for you. His resurrection for your salvation. Be earnest and repent. Be serious. Be sincere. Be earnest with God. Admit who you are. You're a sinner, man. You do dirt and you do it on purpose. Confess, turn, and he will save you. He'll redeem you and he'll redeem the days that you have left for his good, for your good and his glory. Let's pray one more time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No looking around. Be respectful of your neighbors. Pray for those around you, right? If you're here this morning, and again, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to single you out. I promise you, I will not drag you forward. I just want to pray with you. I just want to lead you in a prayer. If you're here this morning and you know, sitting in your seat right now, you need Jesus, man. You need to go through that door while it's still open. God has been speaking to your heart. You want to be saved right now. Will you slip your hand up right where you're at? God bless you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Who else? 
I see you. Listen, why don't you pray a prayer like this? It's not the prayer. Be earnest. Be sincere with God and simply say, Father God, I'm a sinner. Lord, but I turn, I repent, and I turn, and I'm turning to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. <coughs> Tell him, so I'm putting my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. All of me I give to all of Christ. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you calling on his name? I want to encourage you, man. I'm not going to drag you forward, but I want to encourage you to make that decision public. You need to follow through and be baptized like these who were baptized earlier in the service. To go public with your faith. The fact that you're trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the picture. Maybe you're here this morning and your baptism's on the wrong side of your salvation. You got baptized sometime back, maybe when you were younger. But you know that you did not give your heart to Christ till later on. Why don't you come this morning and get that in the right order? Maybe God is calling you to be a part of the Grace Baptist Church family. That this is your home. And it's time to dig roots and go deep and put on the jersey and be a part of the team. Surrender. And that's what we're going to do with this invitation. If God is calling you, you come. Baptism, to join the church, salvation, whatever it is. But the theme of this invitation is surrender, man. Let's give this invitation to God. Father God, this invitation is yours. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We stand with me. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling.